0: Hello and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference.
1: And I'm Michael Adam Beck. I'm the director of Fresh Expressions UM and the director of Fresh Expressions Florida. And today we are joined by my friend, uh, the Reverend Doctor, and yes, she is officially a doctor now, um, so y'all make sure and recognize, Reverend Dr. Heather Jalad. Heather is the Pastor of Community Engagement at Cannon United Methodist Church outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and she serves as the Fresh Expression Specialist for the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. As well as a mission strategist and trainer for Fresh Expressions in A, she recently earned her doctorate from United Theological Seminary through the Fresh Expressions House of Studies. By the way, big shout out to FX uh, yeah. House of Studies, and <laughs> come come and join us um, anytime. Um, and just can I say personally, um, knowing Heather. Uh, as a friend and as a as a co-laborer in the in the mission field, this is a beautiful woman of God, y'all, with just incredible skills, mm-hmm. gifts, graces, and a heart for people that are just our church is never going to connect with in the uh, you know more inherited ways that we do it. And so she's really been a leader nationally, someone um, showing us a new way, blazing new trails uh, to find new ways of being church with new people so heather thank you so much for giving us your time today to come on
2: thank you for the invitation it's an honor and a privilege and i am humbled by that introduction thank you
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) well so our first question that we always ask is um who is heather jillard
2: that's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. Um, I told Piper when I saw her questions, we could probably talk for a couple of days about the answers to these questions. But, um, Heather Jalad is a lover of Jesus who did not grow up in the church or have a, a relationship, um, with God or with the church until I was a pregnant 29 year old. Um, that somehow uh, was led, I, I absolutely believe, by the Holy Spirit uh, to the church uh, when my husband and I decided we were going to raise our children as Christians, and we had no idea what that meant. <laughs> so um, I am also, uh, as, as Michael said, a, um, uh, a Fresh Expressions practitioner um, because I, I very much do have a heart for people that are not a part of the church or are outside of our traditional models of church, um, you know, which is very much a part of who I am based on what I just told you about myself uh, and, and my husband as well. My husband, um, growing up, was irreligious, uh, raised by uh, a German mom and a Syrian dad um, who got married in, um, in the UK, which is where they were going to school. And um, and and that's where he was born. But he identified as a Muslim when I married him, although very much a a cultural Muslim, as uh, as I would have identified as a Christian, uh, very much a cultural Christian and had no idea what that meant. But um, I'm also a mom of two adult daughters. That's hard for me to say, a 20 year old and a 24 year old um, wife to Martin for it will be 30 years, but I'm only 20, right? (laughs) 30 years in January that Martin and I have been married. So, um,
1: Why did you get married at 10 years old? That's (laughs) crazy.
2: I know. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, uh, As as has been shared, I'm a United Methodist pastor. Uh, Very, very much felt called to the United Methodist Church. And um, I remember being in seminary and reading the um, preface to Paul Chilcote's recapturing the Wesley's vision and crying. Mm. (laughs) And I'm like, I am a, I am a Wesleyan through and through Mm -hmm. when I read that I know where I'm supposed to be. So, um, I am one of five children. I'm the middle child. I don't know how much that says about me. Um, I have two older brothers and two younger sisters. I am the, the oldest daughter. Um, I, Love to cook and I love to eat. I actually have a culinary arts degree. Uh, that's the part of my um, part of my history and part of my love for getting people around tables, which we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, I think over our conversation. Mm-hmm. That's great.
1: Thank you for that, Heather. I gotta say, too, um, having a similar experience with the writings of Paul Chilco, By the time our listeners um, hear this interview. Um, this will already be a done thing, but it'll be on the FXUM Theological Symposium, which you'll have access to. We're going to actually have an opportunity to learn from Dr. Paul Chilcote and uh, Jackie Jones and from our ALA Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to really dialogue about fresh expressions and how that is kind of a recapitulation of early Methodism. So mm-hmm. thanks for that shout out. I think I've tried to work a Paul Chilcote book into every book I've written. Cool. <laughs> i know you have you you put oh up
2: my good, goodness yes good, yes
1: good stuff thank yes, you yes very
2: good, good stuff
0: <laughs> yeah that's good gotta find the interview It's it'll, it'll be online recorded by the time this this episode comes out so people can find that yeah um through fxum yeah. so um heather can you tell us more about kind of your story of how you became part of the fresh expressions movement
2: yeah absolutely i um I was like many people that I have met along the way. I was doing I was starting fresh expressions before I knew what fresh expressions were. Um, I was in seminary and um, was appointed as a local pastor to an urban church uh, that was in great decline. Um, its glory days were long over. but it um it had ten recovery groups that were meeting in the building. And um, I really wanted to uh, foster some relationships uh, with those folks and create um, some spaces for them. Um, and so uh, we we started a um, like a Friday night uh, after timed it after the last recovery group was ending um, a Friday night uh, a coffee house style uh, worship actually in that in that building in what we called the living room. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and invited some local musicians, a very artsy community. If you're familiar with the, um, East Atlanta, a little five points area, um, invited some local musicians and artists. And we did more of a modern day, uh, storytelling parables of, uh, of the Bible in conversation. And, um, so that was my, that was my entry unbeknownst to me into the, the movement, um, and then uh, when, I, when I went to serve my first church as a, a commissioned um, pastor, uh, really, I, I had a number of different roles that I was given. But um, what I recognized very quickly was um, most of the congregation was telling the stories of the people that had come decades before them and had really engaged in mission, not only in the local community, but internationally as well. And I just really wanted folks to consider what does that look like now and who's going to tell your story. And so, you know, we we really started to look at where the church was already engaged, what the church was already doing and how we could really literally put some skin and bones on what we were doing, because there was like many of our churches. There were a lot of good things that the church was doing, but a lot of those meant, you know, providing some writing a check or collecting supplies, and never knowing the the names or the stories of the recipients of these things, um, not mm-hmm. having that relational quality uh, to it. And so, um, a, a part of that story is having two uh, young daughters at that point in time. Uh, one was going into fourth grade. I'm was going into eighth grade, and um, and being told that um, the schools that my children were zoned for, like literally, if Jesus was living in the house of that church where his kids would go to school, um, that people would not send their children to those schools, and that was heartbreaking to me um, because I, I really felt like you know the the significance of who the church is in the the community. Um, is often very much connected to our local schools because they look like our community. E- even when, you know when our churches don't look like our community, our schools do. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I went and and met with both of those principals and talked with them. And I wanted to know who they were. I wanted to know their stories. I wanted to understand their calling because if you know a if you know a teacher, you know you know, I would say 99% of the teachers I know it is absolutely appalling and I respect that a great deal. Um, and I think it speaks to what they're, what they're able to navigate, um, in in the day to day. But uh, I went and met with those principals and talked to them and, um, really connected with one of the principals in, in particular. And both of my kids did go to those schools, um, you know, I could I could go on and on about the places that um, uh, followers of Jesus run away from that we really should be running into. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. where real transformation, you know, happens. Not only in those places, but in us, right? When we can't other people anymore, and we have to get to know who they are and who their what their stories are, um, but. I had I discovered that the, um, the church had been partners in education with um, the elementary school many years before and had kind of, um, you know, kind of walked back out of that. And I thought, what a great opportunity. This school is less than a mile and a half um, from this church. And what a wonderful way to, uh, to re-engage with the community. So that was kind of the, the entry into that specific um, relationship um and and some ways to invite the church uh to writing some new stories. And so um what that what happened along the way was um that that particular school had the highest free and reduced lunch in the county. It was 90, it was like 98%. Um and what's often indicative of of schools in this regard is there are a lot of single parent families. Um there are a lot of grandparents raising grandkids. There are, you know, there is just not the same capacity to be able to be present in the school, volunteer in classrooms. You know, uh, you know, I've lived in a lot of different places as an itinerant pastor, lived in a lot of different places in uh, North Georgia, where, you know, where parents are able to be those, those um, room parents or volunteer in classrooms or do the book fairs or, you know, send nice things in for the teachers and, um, and support the staff. And this was a context where that was not uh, a reality, because it was it was literally impossible. Uh, And so the church really sought to form, you know, to, to, to stand in the gap in a lot of ways there. And to be present in that school in those classrooms, I had Sunday school classes, like adopting classrooms to throw parties for them. And volunteering for the book fair and um, working with the principal to do um, monthly uh, recognition of the students that were really kind of, um, you know, showing wonderful character development and um, um, growing in their, their academics. And there was a team of people that would go every month and they would put on the breakfast and they would sit with the kids whose parents could not be there because they had to work. Um, uh, and just celebrate those kids. And it was the same people. And I was insistent upon that because I wanted those kids to know those people and those people to know those kids and that staff to know, because, you know, a lot of times we're going a mile wide and an inch deep and, you know, every church I've gone into, it's like, let's prune all of this. It's good stuff, but we're going this, we're going this deep. How can we go deeper relationally? That's where transformation happens. Mm-hmm. And again, not assuming that it's, oh, we're, we're going to change everything, but we might actually be changed in the process as well, right? Mm-hmm. And how I think that can certainly bring renewal back to the church, too, and a further compassion for our community and for the people that are a part of it. So um, that happened over a number of years. Um, that relationship just grew deeper and deeper um, with the principal. We had a change of principles along the way. I would always go meet with them, pray with those principals. There was not one that was not left in tears after we prayed together. Um, and, um, and just really sought to be um, a partner in, in what they were doing um, and what we were doing in the, the community. So that was kind of my, my entry into Fresh Expressions as far as kind of doing it without understanding what it was, what it was. And then, um, and then the the kind of my, my deep dive into Fresh Expressions happened um, as a result of this partnership with this school. So I can say a little bit more about that, but I've been talking a lot. So
1: there's a couple of things I want to circle back to just so much rich stuff that just came out of that. What you just said, Um, especially to talk about the relationship between fresh expressions and church renewal. But um, when I think of like a textbook, what England defined as pioneer, what we call adventurers on our side of the pond, um, like your pictures in the dictionary next to that. Right. (laughs) So you like, if you think about the boxes that, but all the research that came out of George Ling's and the Church Army Research Unit you know, is like met by Jesus, you know, supernatural or not the conventional. Like I just went to Sunday school and I was kind of a Christian my whole life. There's some mm-hmm. kind of transfiguring moment with Jesus in your life, and then passion for just people outside the current church, um, the relational ability to go into those spaces, and then to be able to translate between cultures and stuff. So you're just kind of defining all of that so tell us like you're engaged in that you're doing this work you're following the holy spirit which the thing i love about fresh expression is that's how we know it's a movement of the holy spirit yeah. if it was like some program that came down from a hierarchy and it was like go do this i wouldn't do it for one and i'd be highly suspect of it but it's a bunch of people that are just kind of figuring it out and we end up oh we're all doing really really similar things i wonder if yeah. there's something beyond ourselves that's actually leading us in this right um, yeah. hello, you know, the Holy Spirit. So as you're doing that, then how do you get exposed to like the overall movement, the language? How did you get, become the cultivator of your conference and all those things?
2: <laughs> I don't even, I mean, I don't even know exactly what my first like exposure to Fresh Expressions was. Um, it, was before, it was before Bishop Sue came to North Georgia is when I first started hearing about it. Um, I don't know if it was a book, uh, it might have been your book, uh, Michael. The deep roots, wild branches. I don't. I don't remember. But um, and I don't remember like timelines of of when all that happened. But um, I heard. So we're we're in partnership with this school and really trying to grow and develop these relationships. And obviously the 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 big um, one of the big needs with this community um, was a food insecurity. Uh, we had a um, uh, a local food pantry that had been started by the church as well, and so that was really kind of a part of the shape of the church. Again, I'm not out here just trying to to start things out of left field. Like I'm trying to pay attention to what the church was already doing, the community around it, um, and so I I heard Verlin Fosner speak um, about dinner church and about the dinner church movement. And honestly, the Holy Spirit kind of started tapping me on the shoulder saying, what if you did that in this elementary school? And this is me and the Holy Spirit talking. That's crazy. It's a public elementary school. And the Holy Spirit's like, just ask. And I'm like, okay. So, um, you know, for those of you not watching online, you I'm talking to myself here, but <laughs> the um, so so I went to the the principal of the school. Um, this was now the second principal I was working with. And we had a wonderful relationship as well. And I just, I sat down with her and we were talking about a number of different things um, with the school, just kind of checking in with each other. And I said, well, I'll have a question to ask you. <laughs> what What do you think about this? And I told her about Dinner Church. And I was just like bracing myself for the no and she said i think that is a wonderful idea and mm-hmm. i was like really <laughs> mm-hmm. and she said well let me just run this by the district obviously they need to be on board with this again i'll just say again this was a public elementary school and um and i was like well surely they're going to say no and again you know, and, and went back to the church and said, "This is a conversation I had, and this is what we're waiting to hear from and and certainly had people praying about that and um, and then she came back and she said, they're they're good. there go." And so we started our dinner church in this elementary school in the cafeteria. Um, I began kind of um, casting the net, if you will, to kind of form a team. Just casting vision, and um, you know, I was also the preaching pastor for a contemporary worship service at that church at the time, and so just sharing stories and um, trying to invite people into some holy imagination with me, and and leaning into these already existing relationships that we've been fostering and nurturing for years, um, <clears throat> you know, into you know, kind of almost like next leveling things, you know, with this with this school in particular and the neighborhood surrounding it. And, um, and I had, I think I had like three or four people say, yes, let's, let's do it. And I was like, oh, that's not enough people. This is not going to be, this is not going to be the Heather show. Like I, you know, and so I said, what if we start, let's start prayer walking the neighborhoods around the school. So we literally took the bus routes of this school and blew them up on our church's conference and our, on our church's conference center room. And um, and every month we had Serve Saturdays going. I was really trying to build that community engagement into the um, the DNA of the church. Right that that this is kind of just a part of the rhythm of who we are. Engagement with the community. So we had Serve Saturdays where again just very specific par- partners. We we were had opportunities to go deeper in our community with those partners. And part of that was prayer walking. So we we took different parts of the the bus routes and we prayer walked them over the course of the next, I think, six months um, before that dinner church actually got started. I cast the net again about you know three or four months later, and I had a team of ten people, and um, and so we started praying and um, and kind of working through some of Berlin Ver- stuff. Um, and looking to start um, the dinner church gathering at the beginning of the, the, next, the next year, the ne- next um, calendar year in January. So it was about six months um, that we were prayer walking between the time I cast the net in the vision the first time to the time we actually started. And, um, and so we got to our last um, gathering. And so we're doing all of this off-site and another place and just the logistics of everything. I said, we need more people. So everybody bring a friend. So everybody brought friends and one of the guys on the team brought a young woman and her husband um, from his office, completely unchurched people um, not resistant to the church, but just um, had never been a part of it. Never walked in the door, did not necessarily see the relevance of the church or Jesus in their lives. Um, And that was, that was a trip. That was an absolute trip to have, this young woman and her husband be a part of the team and then being able to hear when we, when we started the dinner church, hear the, hear the Jesus stories and see the church in action and, you know, and, and doing what we were doing and um, gathering all kinds of people from, from the community. But, um, but yeah, that was kind of how everything got started. That was the first dinner church that I've, that I had the opportunity to start Um, things by any stretch of the imagination did not go the way I planned. Um, at the end of the day, it was much, much better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things I had to, to let go of along the way. And, um, it's, it was just, just a wonderful, wonderful experience about what can happen when you just listen to the Holy Spirit and, and, and kind of let go of your expectations and, um, and let, let God kind of just take charge of what's happening, um, Mm -hmm. along the way.
0: Yeah. That's great. There's a lot of themes I hear in all of this that I think are really vital to to doing fresh expressions, which is um, listening and having uh, prayer being the underlying thing that is a constant. And then um, finding those people, whatever term you use, permission givers, those people like the principals of that school, that you maintain those relationships and connections with people without like it doesn't mean that the principal was like there organizing with you you know they just gave you permission to use the space and yeah. gave you the allowance to to be in that space um and then creating a team of people and not doing it completely on your own um i think those are all really big elements that sound like it's what helped helped you to create a, this like kind of successful network of fresh expressions you know
2: Yeah, I would, I mean, I, I encourage everybody to not, not try to do this alone. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that I've learned along the way is that, um, you know, there's, (laughs) this is, this is humbling to admit, but there's a lot of people that have a lot of gifts that I don't have, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, and to be able to look to those and to rely on those. And also, you know, um. to the understanding that their ideas might be better than mine and how they do something might be different than what i do but it's probably you know better for whatever that particular scenario is as well as you know what what i have learned along the way and we all know this that pioneers get bored pretty easily and so starting things um you know, is is exciting, and there's a lot of energy and, you know, um, enthusiasm around it. But kind of once things kind of get to a place where uh, they're kind of kind of hitting a certain rhythm, and um, uh, we can get bored. And so I think team is really important in that regard, too, because, you know, I might be ready to move on to something else. But if I put a really good team together, they're able to sustain and maintain whatever is happening there and continue to adapt, you know, along the way. But there's just, uh, there's a greater comfort level um, with that team because they've been there from the beginning. And then I can just really be released to go start something else.
1: Mm -hmm. I I, I want to come back to a couple of things you said and one on the team, um, just to unpack that a little bit more for us. But previously um, when you were talking about the relationship between Fresh Expressions and church renewal, mm. um, it's always kind of bothered me because I feel like those two things are a way of saying the same thing. If you cultivate mm. new Christian communities without with people outside the church, you will have renewal of the church. If you try to do a bunch of internal twink- tinkering kind of stuff inside a church to bring renewal to the church, you may or may not get renewal. Right. Yeah. But I'm really borrowing from the wisdom of Leonardo Boff, who's been a missional scholar. um, And he wrote a book called Ecclesiogenesis. Mm -hmm. And he makes the case that the base ecclesial community. So this would be Central South America's language for fresh expressions. But they're lay, cultivated, justice-oriented, you know, communities that spring up in everyday life, house churches, third place churches, all of that. So in their version of that, And he got a lot of trouble, by the way, as a Catholic with super hierarchical. Um, And one of the things that Bishop Carter shared with us um, at ALA where we were together, there was that idea of like the new uh, reformation, the new kind of spiritual awakening movement is from hierarchy to like distributed, shared power leadership, which I've, I've just been thinking about that since he shared that. But so as you've been cultivating these new Christian communities, you yourself live in a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Methodist is not the Catholic church, but we certainly have like our our pyramid scheme. All right. And our, you know, we're an Episcopal church and there's committees and all the different. So Mm -hmm. have you seen in your own ministry of cultivating these communities locally and as a cultivator across the whole conference, as a Mm -hmm. director and specialist, how have you seen uh, inherited congregations maybe come alive in new ways? First of all, have you seen that? No. And, and what does that look like?
2: Yeah, I, I have seen inherited congregations um, come alive in, in new ways. And I think the hard thing, uh, first of all, I'll say that first church where I started the, the dinner church, um, what I was able to witness and the people that were a part of that initial team that then, you know. Uh, we talk about the the withness of fresh expressions being very important. And, you know, as we were gathering with people that were not yet a part of the church, you know, one of the things that I constantly told people is find somebody that's not you, that's not us, us, question, quotation marks, um, and apprentice them, invite them into this, and to you know, leading conversation at your table, serving drinks with you, you know, whatever the case may be, welcoming people. So we were constantly trying to, um, kind of disrupt some of the ways that, you know, we're used to doing things in the inherited church. <clears throat> and, um, you know, instead of putting things on for people, that it was about the witness and the community. And, um, and so, you know, that apprenticeship, I think, is is a really important part of that and giving away power, authority, whatever you want to call it, I think was is has been very significant but what I witnessed in that team of people was these were, these were all people, I'll be honest with you, that I, I uh, saw as some of the most mature Christians in that church. And I think every single one of them would turn around and say to you, I grew up as a part of being this fresh expression. Mm. I grew up and matured in my, um, uh, my discipleship, my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in a whole new way. And I could just cry telling you stories about some of the things that they told me and shared with me Mm -hmm. because, you know, the things that, that they said, they believe that we say we believe when they actually had to practice them out in the real world and share stories of their faith, articulate their faith to people that may or may not have had any kind of, um you know, uh, upbringing in the church or around the church, or even any understanding of, you know, Judeo Christian values or anything, which more and more is just a faint memory for many people, um, if at all, when they had to actually, you know, actionize all of these things, um, activate all of these things, was like, wow, this is actually a lot harder than I thought it was. Wow, Mm -hmm. like talking to somebody about my faith that doesn't have that kind of that assumed or working knowledge of the Bible or who Jesus is or anything else. That's, that's actually hard. And that's making me, um, you know, that's, that's challenging me. That's, that's changing me. That's transforming me. And I always go back to Ephesians four where Paul lists all the gifts, the, the apest gifts that we talk about, um, the apostle prophet evangelist shepherd teacher, and how Paul says that all of these gifts are meant to be used for the maturity, for the growing up of the body of Christ. And, and when we don't provide places and spaces for people to utilize those gifts, right, because we've created a lot of consumers within the attractional church. Um, when we don't provide spaces for, and places for people to actually live out these gifts, embody these gifts, put flesh and bones on these gifts. That they're—I mean—they are stunted in their growth as far as follow being follower of Jesus, yeah. and and just how that that brings renewal within the existing church because of these these people that are literally growing up, um, and and how that just completely changes, Michael, to you to use your words, the the social contract even between the the congregation and the pat the the pastor the appointed pastor of that congregation is, is remarkable. Um, and, and, and I think we, you know, so I have witnessed this, I have seen this, I'm very passionate about this. It's why it's what my dissertation was about. Mm -hmm. Um, how, you know, how, how starting fresh expressions really does catalyze our, our discipleship, you know, and most of our discipleship processes are very internal curriculum based, academic in nature you know mental and not um not actionable not embodied not actually trying to do the thing that we say we know and believe and uh and so i have seen the impact that that this has had on individual churches and i think that there is such a growing edge and opportunity for this just across the church with a capital c um, particularly in the in the Western world. So um, anyway, I'm I'm very passionate about it and kind of you know reframing the church around a a missional ecclesiology because I think that's really the the framework for what makes this possible and how we organize ourselves and understand ourselves um, and you know, helping people grow up in the gifts that they, that God has given that are meant to be deployed, all of them together Mm -hmm. for, for God's mission.
1: Yeah. And thank you for that. And I want to come back to your doctoral research. So um, that's really some helpful things in there. Um, The idea of teams. So I I work with a lot of congregations and, and um, one of the big struggles, challenges, I hear this a lot, like it's my little congregation. you know there's 12 of us left. Um, and when I talk about this, people are like, "What are you talking about? No, mm-hmm. I'm like or it's um, recently it's been a conversation like, my church disaffiliated. I'm left now. a couple of us we want to still be a church, but we feel like we're spiritually homeless. And like the main answer right now is, okay, migrate to another United Methodist Church nearby which then still you vacate the mission field right of where you were. Um, and and so the team part, we we can really make it overly complicated. There's been a lot of fresh expressions that I started with, like, just Jill and I. Mm-hmm. We were the team. And right. the person of peace, like Adrian at Mo Southwest Girl. Or I had two or three willing lay people that were like, yeah, let's go and do the Um, so we, you don't have to have like a lot of people in most cases, you don't have to, um, because the idea of fresh expression is right from the beginning, you want to create a shared leadership dynamic. Yeah. So we just started a new fresh expression Monday night in a a rehab here in Ocala called higher power hour. And our, our, um, person of peace on this is the director of the whole facility. And she's like, okay, so we're a state facility, you know, we can't go all in, church stuff so yeah. higher power hour was something we could you know and where she we prayed together she pulled all her staff and we did a big circle prayer to pray over so she's a believer and that's really exciting but um there's also a limit of how many people can go in so we have to have our team like pared down but right from the first night uh, i just felt the spirit stirring on me like this young man has a call it's just somebody mm-hmm. something about him was compelling and i said Hey, um, Jordan, do you want to, do you want to bring something in the circle, uh, during the worship time? And he was like, well, I'm kind of a rapper. And I said, that's dope. Bring that. And, um, he said, well, I do have kind of like this spiritual poem about recovery I've been working on. Hmm. And so he brought this, the anointing of the Holy Spirit fell into place. You got 40 people desperate for God that maybe yeah. they're against Jesus, but they're willing to be here and have a conversation. Um, and and it just brought and I was like, Jordan, do you think you could have something ready for us every week so we could have a Jordan original every week? And he's like, Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll be ready. So I'm looking for those little like who's gonna come yeah. into the from the beginning. So you don't have like, we're yeah. here to do this for you. You yeah, know, it's exactly we're here to create something together as a community. Yeah. And I've seen you do that in all of your leadership. But I think people have this conception of like, you got to go in with a fully structured team and have it all figured out. No. It's like, can you go into this space and get with a couple people?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I love the way that our our friend and mentor, Mike Moyne talks about this. Find a friend.
2: Find a friend. That's all it is. It, that's biblical, right? I mean, Jesus yeah. sent people out two by two. He called the disciples two by two. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I mean, one other person that makes a team. Two are better than one, right?
1: Me and the Holy Ghost. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, no, that's good. Talk
1: about how you've seen like your teams. Uh, what are what does some of those teams look like? You've started stuff with.
2: Yeah. So I mean, so yeah, I have the teams work for all the dinner churches that I've started. Um, the The. It, which are, which are tend to be a little bit larger, just because you know, primarily a larger group of people. We we've, we've you know we're we're gathering 100 to 150 people in most of those dinner churches, but even um, you know in starting something like in a, a local coffee house or some of the things I've done with my husband, you know, it's just the two of us, uh, and uh, and 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 kind of having that apprenticeship model from the beginning, and then paying attention who, uh, begins to gather and looking for their gifts. Right. So, um, I'm thinking of Tommy, who was one of the guys that, um, that came to, uh, one of my dinner churches and he was so gregarious and hilarious. And I'm like, Tommy, I, we're making you the, you're, you're the guy that's at the welcome table every week because you make everybody laugh and you make everybody feel welcome and you, you know, and, um, Another one of the gentlemen, um, he had used to, he shared uh, one time when we were talking that he had played the organ at his church way back in the day. And um, and that's a whole story that I wish I, we had time to, for me to tell you. And so we brought in like a little keyboard for him. Um, and he so he played music for us. Was it wonderfully beautiful and you know high production quality? No, but he felt like he was a part of what was happening in that room and was able to share his gift. Same, same thing, Michael, people writing original things or wanting to share a poem or wanting to sing a song or
1: yeah. um,
2: having big questions that they want um, people to have conversation around in different contexts. And well, would you know inviting people? Would you bring the the question that we're talking about or the topic that we're talking about? Um, I love one of Mike Moyna's questions that he asked, and that is, if God is real, what do you think God would say about this particular situation or this particular topic? And inviting people to have a a, a spiritual conversation around whatever that is. Um, and, and inviting people to bring their questions and having that open space instead of assuming that we know what those what those questions are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also speaks to how you kind of adapt and adjust along the way as well. Again, not coming with this big grand scheme of this is this is what we're going to do. In week three, we're going to say Jesus and week four, we're going to pray. And, you know, um week five, we're going to take an offering. (laughs) But but what, what the people that are coming together, what gifts are they bringing? And uh, what questions are they asking and letting them take the lead and truly meeting them um, where they are? Somebody said something on a podcast that just blew me away. And I, I wish I could remember who said it. But they said something to the effect that what if the church is in such great decline because, and I think Michael, you get on board with this, because the gifts that we need are not represented there and we have to go get them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the reason I say that Michael would resonate with this is because you know the, the church as we know it has to some degree... Um, exiled the, the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, we really have nurtured the gifts of the, the shepherds and the teachers, and we celebrate those. But, um, you know, we get, we get lead pastors into contexts that have apostle gifts, and people don't know what to do with them. You mm-hmm. know, it, it antagonizes everyone. Mm-hmm. And being able to to celebrate those gifts, I think, is is a big challenge for us in the inherited church to recognize those and, um, and to help foster all of the gifts, you know, together, uh, whether they be in our inherited church or out in the community, um, I think is, is a lot of work that we have to do Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of work. And, and, and so as a, as a cultivator of Fresh Expressions in North Georgia, I hate, I hate the title specialist between you guys and me um, Mm -hmm. because um, I, I like you know I, I like the title cultivator um, because I'm just out here trying to do the thing, mm. um, and so I've I've tried to I help identify other people that are just really shaped in this in this regard in this direction that have that missional entrepreneurial energy enthusiasm, risk taking. Um, you know, a uh, uh, shape about them, and um, and and so now we have uh, several of those that are a part of a team that I have in North Georgia, that that teach me that I learn from. That you know, we are. Um, I give them opportunities to share what they're doing, where they are, so that we can learn from one another. And um, and again, not assuming that here's here's Heather's curriculum and this is what we're going to do, but. Um, giving people the platform and being able to learn from them and then learn from one another, which again, is, I think so important in this work. Um, it's so important because, because, because people that have these, these gifts are um, often antagonizing the system, the system or disrupting it. Uh, they can feel very alone or like maybe there's, something wrong with them, or that there's not a place in the church for them. Mm -hmm. And um, so being able to put folks like this together in a room is exciting to see how they literally throw gasoline on each other's fires, and come come out of um, the time that we have together encouraged and inspired and energized to, to do the next thing, whatever that is.
0: Yeah, that's good. You two got to witness some of that this week with the Adventurers Leadership Academy
2: mm-hmm. in North
0: Georgia, yeah. or not North Georgia, Western North Carolina. In Western North Carolina, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sad to have missed it, but that's what I hear. There was a lot of that of just people who have very similar passions and a similar call, these adventurers with the adventure spirit. And so being able to be together and throwing ideas you know, together and bouncing them off each other. Um And encouraging each other because it is a lot of work and it can definitely feel isolating at times, especially when there's a lot of other things that the United Methodist Church at large is kind of concerned with at the current moment with all these things that are changing and shifting within the denomination. So being able to kind of find your people um, who who feel similarly to you and who can kind of lift you up is an important part of it, you know.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll just echo that, um, Piper, in that, um, you know, I was asked, what what did I think went really well this time? And and where did I think opportunities were? I I can appreciate how we tried to do something different every time we've gathered. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I appreciate most is when people from across the different um, places in the country are able to share together and encourage one another uh, because, you know, because we can kind of get into our own little uh, geographical uh, 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 parties or whatever. And so having the folks from North Georgia be able to share with Florida and North Carolina and Ohio and Delaware and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, I think, um, and and recognizing the movement that it this is. Mm-hmm. I think is just so encouraging to all of them being able to share ideas and encourage one another and and find that common ground that they share as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's we're we I think we're taking applications for the Adventures Leadership Academy with the next immersion being in North Georgia.
2: In North Georgia, yeah. in North Georgia, yes, here at the beginning of August. So you guys should link the link the uh, application in the uh, show yes, notes or something. Should. Yeah,
0: definitely will.
2: <laughs> Sure. Do we want to talk about a little bit about what that is? Yeah, please do. Let's hear it. <laughs> you want to give the commercial, Michael, or should I give it?
1: <laughs> I want you to give it because you do it much better.
2: Oh, yeah. Right. Whatever. Well, the Adventures Leadership Academy is a, a partnership between a number of different um, United Methodist conferences, as well as United Theological Seminary. It's a, a, a non-degree certificate program. Um, where you have four immersive experiences in different contexts over the course of a year. Uh, And uh, you can enter in at any time during the uh, immersive um, experiences, but we also have um, online um, digital learning experiences and discussion groups. The, um, The immersive experiences are especially valuable because you get to hear from different um, and learn from different practitioners in different contexts and that we really focus on the loving first journey that we talk about in um, in fresh expressions and the different parts of it and how they're living that out in their local contexts and um, and experience in real time um, uh, actual fresh expressions and or simulations of fresh expressions because that's probably i don't know about you guys but probably not so much in Florida, you guys are like a decade ahead of us there. But um, I oftentimes get asked, like, what does this even look like? And, and it's a hard thing to invite somebody into a a fresh expression, because, you know, you can, um, it can be weird. um, And it can disrupt the community that's forming there. So we have to be like intentional and careful about those things. But to give people an opportunity to experience what that looks like, I think is is incredibly valuable. And that's something that you get in um, in, in the ALA, in the Adventurers Leadership Academy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So in August, we are f- finishing up with a large group. We have a couple people that joined along the way. And I know because we're going to be here in North Georgia, we're going to be... Um, you know, I'm going to be pushing hard to get an, our, another group to start here from North Georgia and hope, hopefully we'll have um, some other folks join us from some other places in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Great. What well, I leave out, Michael, what I leave out.
1: <laughs> no, no, you. that was perfect. I, I okay. want to get back to um, like your doctoral research, if you don't mind. And just sure. um, how do you see, and this isn't every, every training we do, right? You, you've been there and done this. Um, comes the question, you know, how is discipleship happening in these communities that are meeting around dinner tables and in tattoo parlors mm-hmm. or wherever? Um, I like to flip that question and say, well, how's discipleship happening in the inherited church? Not exactly. Church, but talk to us about that. And has there ever been in history, a movement of female missionaries?
2: <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> Who did this, yes. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, the, um, again, our friend, Dr. Moina, you know, I know is asked like, what's the curriculum and he's like doing, it's the actual curriculum. Right. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so, you know, the, the, the curriculum is actually practicing, starting, um, having these life on life with, um, uh, communities of faith that are kind of bubbling up, um, I I describe, I define press expressions as communities of people that are moving together toward Jesus. And Mm -hmm. I would like to say that's a definition of the church too, but, you know, there's some days that I'm more convinced than others, Um, but a a community of faith moving together toward Jesus. And, you know, that, that looks different in every context that you're in is exactly how that kind of um, uh, comes to life. Uh, so I, I like to share uh, a couple of things. I, I, the very first baptism that I had in a, uh, a fresh expression was a woman that had been in and out of the church for her her whole life, um, but really felt like she found family in this particular fresh expression in a place where she could be herself and felt like she was a part of something bigger than herself and felt for the first time. Um, that she, she really wanted to be a part of this family. And so she she asked to be baptized. I think about her, her name was Penny. Um, I think about um, three guys that I sat at a table with that um, were talking about um, the book of James and the Bible, because I think there was a reference made during a Jesus story. And one of them said, I hate the book of James. And the other person said, I love the book of James. And another person said, I've always wanted to study the book of James. And so they formed a little group and they started studying the book of James together. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as my, so, you know, that those are some of the places that, you know, that I think discipleship emerges Um, again, living into our gifts Um, again, having um, compassion for our communities um, in my in my dissertation in my doctoral work, um, you know, we, we utilized a tool that uh, the the, chur- the church um, in the UK had utilized to to really kind of measure fruit of people that were um, uh, a part of a, a, a fresh expression over the course of a five year period and or a nine year period, I believe it was in the UK. Um, here, I've utilized the same tool to look at the same thing over a five year period. Um, and, you know, and how they have, uh, grown fruit or matured in their relationship with God, with one another, with their larger community. And so like, you know, I was able to like actually have data and, and, and stats on the growth that, um, was apparent in these folks, um, lives and, um, and, and and to see again how being a part of a fresh expression has um, has transformed them and those and those relationships over a period of time um, has been uh, very telling. I think so. Uh, the disciples the discipleship that happens in a fresh expression is very contextualized, but very very real and very much embodied. Not only for the people that are part of the inherited church that may be starting the, the fresh expression or participating in that community of faith that's moving together toward Jesus, but also in um, the people that, that that become the with the community uh, and, and what that looks like for them that is very much more um, transformational than any kind of a transaction, right? That we oftentimes also equate, you know, discipleship with. Uh, it is, is the journey of faith together. And, um, you know, as Wesleyans, I would say a part of our own sanctification as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if if that was the answer you were looking for, Michael, but um, I, I would also say, you know, in regard to the, the, the women um, that were missional entrepreneurs very much so and were lay people um the the Beguines from um the medieval era were a remarkable group of women that um really uh wanted ways to were looking for ways to practice their faith um in community but did not want to become nuns they were devout followers of jesus did not want to become nuns did not want to live a- clo- a cloistered life um and essentially essentially um created missional communities in different contexts, um, uh, primarily throughout Europe, uh, that uh, were very engaged in their local community, but very much shared their life together in Christ and impacted uh, not only their local community, but the church with a capital C at large, Engage their community in, in, in deeply contextual ways to where they didn't even have a set rule of life as far as the whole Beguine movement, but very much um, had their own rule of life based on who they were, where they were, and whatever context they were in. Um, engaged in trades and supported themselves and, um, and really just intersected with, um, in every way, shape, and form, uh, uh, everyday people. Um, spoke and wrote and preached in the vernacular in the public square. Um, they said that they were, uh, one of the things that they were known for is um, seeking to live the lives of the apostles and um, and their ways of life. Some of them um, uh, call it, uh, wrote stories of their lives um, that were kind of shared amongst the Beguines. And the Beguine movement continued until the early 2000s. The last wow. Beguine died in the early 2000s. Yes, um, oh. but the the vidas, the stories of their lives um, that were shared amongst them, some of the the very well known, um, uh, more prolific writers of the beguines, became almost like um, a, a guide for uh, the beguines in different parts of the um, in different parts of the world. And so the stories, the lives of the apostles and the lives of these other Beguines were uh, very much kind of a guide for them. Um, myst- mystical women, um, deeply, deeply in love with the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. And um, uh, just really, really exciting. Talk about uh Border pushers and boundary crossers in the medieval era—they're uh, just inspiring to me. So I encourage anyone to to check out the Beguines and um, and the work that they did, and I think um, that the impact that they continue to have on the the church even today.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, did did the Beguines really die? Or yeah. are you looking at two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: we <gasps> uh, yeah, gotta yeah. work on our head our headdress though uh, yeah
2: yeah well they actually didn't wear like you, some of them had like certain like um I, I hate to say costumes that they wore but um you know it, it's interesting like like john wesley um being called a methodist as kind of a a mm-hmm. negative commentary on him. They, you know, the beguines were called beguines because they were ta- they were said to murmur. <laughs> um, they were probably talking to Jesus all the time. They were talking to the Spirit, but they were said to murmur, and that's that's kind of where that that word came from. And they embraced it rather than mm-hmm. being offended by it. So, look, I
0: am beginning. What I yeah, <laughs> maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: cool. Yeah, very cool, inspiring.
0: Yeah. So one of the other questions that we ask um, is about the future of the church, which I think the past of the church can very much inform the future, Mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, there's so much to it. So um, what does the future of the church look like to you? And what is your hope for it?
2: Uh, The future of the church, to me, looks a lot smaller and, and dispersed. I think it will progressively become uh, almost more of an underground movement. Um, to me, that's exciting. To other people, that's that's terrifying. I'm sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I mean, you know, if we look at the if we look at church history and we look at um, you know the the difference in the church, you know, b- before and after Constantine and you know becoming the religion of the empire and all that other stuff, um, you know. I I, I wonder often, you know, what it would have, what would have happened if it never became the religion of the empire and where we would be today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot smaller and wider, if that makes sense, um, more dispersed. Um, and it, you asked the question, what what gives me hope? I think two things really, I mean, just that picture of what the church could look like gives me hope. Um, and and the, the significance of the need for it being very contextual. Um, and the other part of that is literally the the people of God um, deployed for the mission of God and, and living into the gifts that, that Jesus has given the church in the, the, in the power of the Spirit. That's what gives me hope, because I think we've tried to do it our way, it, with a particular model for so long that I think is much more, um, uh, come to us and do it like us, uh, that, um, you know, when I think of, the when I think of the, the, the kingdom of God, um, it is incredibly nuanced and multicolored. And, um, and I think that, that, my hope is that that the, the the mosaic that, that God is painting will come to full life and um, mm-hmm. and the people of God being deployed for the mission of God um, once again and taking that very
1: seriously. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I like that.
1: So Heather, tell us like what are your what projects are you working on these days? Where can our listeners and our viewers connect with you? How do they get a hold of you? All that good stuff.
2: All that good stuff, um, projects. Well, I'm hoping that I can do something with this dissertation that I wrote. <laughs> as far as um, uh, walking with other people on the on the, the journey of starting fresh expressions and the, the anchors that are so significant to that in the history of the church with a capital C, and and also our Wesleyan roots and which are so so significant to I think the shape of this. Uh, as far as North Georgia is concerned, we are um, really trying to, I t- I, like I said, I've said before, I, I steal all my best stuff from from you, Michael, in Florida and from our friend Luke in Western North Carolina, but really trying to um, foster what we're calling greenhouses in uh, North Georgia of of practitioners that are starting things, that are experimenting, that are really engaging and connecting with people in their communities, and putting those people together. So um, because we've really been able to identify people that are practitioners in different parts of our conference, that they essentially become the the gardeners of these greenhouses in these different places that is not necessarily a Conference-wide thing, but that we have uh, greenhouses throughout the the conference uh, for all of these local practitioners, and not just the leaders of these or the pioneers or adventurers of these, but that they would be the the teams, so that there is that shared learning that's happening there. Um, uh, so that that's kind of like the big the big thing that um, I, I think is part of the next year in North Georgia and Fresh Expressions. Um online I am Heather McIntyre Jalad on the Book of Faces.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, I'm a little longer in the tooth, and so that's probably where I uh live the most. And then on Instagram, I'm Preach We also have a Fresh Expressions North Georgia UMC uh Facebook page that you can um find out more about what's happening in North Georgia. And then I have this really strange thing that I started during the pandemic, which is a, a Facebook group for people that love to gather and graze. It's called Gather and Graze. And um, this is just something that I started during the pandemic. I've got more than 600 people in that Facebook group now. And mm-hmm. we love charcuterie
0: boards. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know about that group. i gonna have to join Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's fun. That's cool. love that idea.
1: Can a dude show up with like Ritz crackers and some pepperonis and be part of the charcuterie group? A lunchable,
0: a
2: lunchable spray <laughs> cheese. We'll help you arrange it <laughs> to be beautiful,
0: Michael. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being with us today, Heather.
2: It's been fun. Thank you, guys. You guys, it's it's so fun to talk to you and share what God's up to and look forward to the next chapter. Yes.
0: And to those listening, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed our conversation with Heather, please share it with a friend, give us a rate, review, and subscribe. And if you would like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you, and see you next time on New People, New Ways.